You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Okay, welcome to episode 26 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer. Uh, In this episode, I have a great chat with Jake Schuster. Uh, Jake is a PhD student who's working on uh, speed training, uh, especially in the area of sevens. Uh, And he's currently doing his PhD on uh, speed mechanics and running efficiency uh, with the New Zealand women's sevens team. So he did a a bunch of the prep work leading up to the the Rio Olympics. And and for those, uh, most listeners if not all, would have watched uh, the, the final of the women's sevens where the silver medal went to the New Zealand team. So so he's been working with a, with a great bunch of athletes um, and uh, obviously has a, a lot to offer uh, coaches out there. So we didn't, we didn't go into a lot of detail on what, what his findings were from this study uh, because they were a bit hush-hush leading up to the Olympics. So uh, once, once they're out of embargo, hopefully we'll, we'll get Jake on again maybe and uh, have a chat about uh, that in more detail. What we did go into was a bit of detail, some basic basic tips for for coaches out there who uh, who, who their main goal is just to get their their, their players faster. Um, what are some what are some of the progressions you might need to make? Where do you fit it into the the weekly training? Um, what where do you fit it in into your actual training session? And some just basic ideas on drills and uh, loading and those kind of things. Uh, great chat with him. Uh, really really stoked he came on the show. He's got a huge amount of experience uh, in, a, in a pretty short time. He's done, done some work with Cressy Performance in the US, uh, which is where Jake's from originally. Um, Cressy Performance, for those who don't know, is uh, huge in baseball strength and conditioning. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the Netherlands uh, with, their, with their Olympic body there. And also while studying in the UK, um, he was he was also involved heavily with uh, with sevens um, and fifteens uh, strength and conditioning and, and speed work there. So great chat there uh, with Jake, and um, hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Cheers. Joined with uh, Jake Schuster. So welcome, Jake. Andrew, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk rugby with you. Yeah, no worries. Um, appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, I uh, I know it was it took us a bit of time to kind of match up the time schedules uh, throughout the world. You're in New Zealand, I'm in uh, Canada, so I appreciate you finding the time. Well, I, I, I try and try and be nice to anyone over in Canada because everyone there is just far too nice. <laughs> totally agree. That's why, that's why I'm still living here. It's awesome. All right, so um, what, what's, a, what's a bit of a brief backstory to, to kind of how, what got you to New Zealand, like tracing it back, say, the last kind of five, ten years, how did you end up there? Sure. So, so I've, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, so in New England, not too far away from where you are now. Um, I competed in wrestling and lacrosse growing up, pretty stereotypical Northeastern sports. Yeah, um, for sure. Went down to Daniel College in Maryland uh, under the tutelage of Dr. Rick Carpenter and Dr. Steve McCall there. I, I hopped across the pond to finish my undergrad at the Hochschule University of Amsterdam um, and interned with the Dutch Olympic Federation there. And that's where I really fell in love with working in elite sport, you know, as, as a kind of ex-athlete or not quite elite athlete, like, you know, that's kind of the, the like path of most of strength coaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's when I really fell in love with, uh, you know, with elite athletic performance and, and how we can try and get there. Um, so after I did a, a gap year and a half in Berlin, Germany, staying in Europe, 
I completed my master's degree at Loughborough University in the UK. And that was actually in exercise physiology and nutrition. I've never used that degree, really. Um, I, I then went and interned with Eric Cressy in Florida, working with pro baseballers. Awesome, yeah. Uh, and then one day, about 15, 16 months ago, I got a call um, from a professor I knew here in New Zealand, and he said, hey, I've got a scholarship with your name on it. Do you want to come across? And um, here I am, finished up with data collection, and uh, more than a year into my time here. Awesome. Cool. So... Um yeah, we talked a bunch off air about um, that you're that you're involved with uh, with rugby over there and uh, in the sevens uh, role, but that you know pretty sensitive times as we come up to Rio, so we're not going to touch on uh, a lot of that. Um, purpose for this uh, this episode is really just to kind of look into you know training rugby players uh, to be faster. Uh, that's that's your expertise is uh, uh, speed training and. Uh, you know, to pass on some of those, you know, techniques that you've you've found over the past few years uh, that that might be able to help uh, coaches out there. So, um, what, when you when you start with a new team, where what's what's your first point? What do you what do you do when you get a new group? I'd like to see them all run as fast as they can. Um, yeah. So I know there are a ton of movement screens out there and and different um, assessment batteries and. Some of them are, are really good. Um, my boss, Matt Pritz, uh, created the, the movement competency screen um, for his own PhD, so there are some good assessments out there for movement, Andrew. I just like to see athletes run as fast as they can, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, I like to watch them play rugby. Uh, I, I think a lot of athletes will run differently in a testing situation than they will in their own sport, so I really like to watch them just play their sport and then kind of take notes on everyone. Um, as, you know, as I'll say probably a few times, I think there's a there's a key set of things that we're looking for in, in successful sprinting and successful running. So I just basically watch the athletes run in their sport, hopefully, and, and look yeah. for those things. Um, then if if I have you know kind of my first session with a group, Andrew, I'll have them run probably a forty and go one at a time or in small groups and mm-hmm. try and do them and just try and look for different things that I'm seeing in in each group. During that time, are you are you taking notes or is, are you videoing or are you doing both? What 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 kind of how you how you looking at each individual athlete and their their individual uh, strengths and weaknesses? Kind of depends on on manpower, Andrew. I like to get video ASAP, especially if you can look at it in slow motion with the athletes or with the coaches. Um, but usually, I just try and use my eyes so I can mm. communicate with the athletes as I'm seeing them and communicate with the coaches. Um, normally, if we're just running kind of a first you know pre testing battery. We'll have them run a 40, and I'll use the radar gun, which I used in my PhD, and this will give us the technical components and, and the force application measurements of their sprinting to kind of confirm or deny or add to what I'm seeing with my own eyes. Yeah. So what, what are some of the common errors you, you're going to see with, uh, with athletes uh, in their running technique? So we'll see a couple of things. Um, excessive head movement is really common. Yeah, for sure. Over rotation, um, whether that's with the arms crossing mm-hmm. the midline or with the knees, and you know you're running almost in a, in a zigzag, yeah, which um, is really common in rugby athletes. Many many of the fastest rugby players I've ever seen can't run in a straight line. Yeah, they just don't know how to do it. <laughs> um, so those are probably the two most common, along with understriding, uh, especially in a sport where you're taking chopped steps and just a few steps at a time before going into contact. Right. Most rugby athletes won't have experienced the, the extremely broad, almost bounding-like first three steps, which a sprinter yeah. on a track will experience day in, day out. So is that going to be a, um, linked to like their knee lift and how, how high they're getting their knees up to extend that stride? Or 
That's right. That's right. And that, and and a lot of that comes back to the classic, you know, two of the you know the best cues I've gotten off Nick Winkleman are just push the ground away. Mm-hmm. And then, yep. you know, picture a pane of glass in front of your knees and smash the glass. You know? right. yeah. When I athletes just start just shouting, smash the glass back to me involuntarily, that's when I know <laughs> I've had an impact. That's a great. Lot of, a lot of these rugby athletes, Andrew, have been told to take short, sharp steps and mm. short, sharp steps to get up to speed. And um, I just vehemently disagree with that. I don't think that makes any sense. If you get further away from your opponent, then you are inherently faster. So, right? so, so, so out of the blocks, you're saying longer strides are better. Absolutely. So if you if you take uh, one long step and and you're gone, then you're gone. Yeah. Right. Doesn't yeah, doesn't matter what velocity you're at if you're three meters away from an opponent instead of one meter. Yeah, can't argue with that. Yeah, and um, you mentioned Nick Winkleman there. He's I, I follow him on Twitter and he does some good stuff there. I think he's with uh, the uh, Irish Rugby Union right now, and uh, yeah, yeah, there's some good stuff there. Okay, so then then once you've once you've uh, you've started working with a group and you've isolated some some work ons for athletes, uh, you're going to be with that group for a, for a period of time. Um, what what a how do you how do you like to I don't know for want of a better word periodize your your, your speed work with with that team over over the course of a season? Sure. Well, Andrew, I I definitely subscribe to dynamical systems theory and, and um, kind of the nonlinear pedagogies that we find people like Franz Bosch using, but also all sorts of researchers in Europe. And I don't, I don't necessarily believe in, in things like progressive overload when it comes to learning how to run fast, mm-hmm. because we've got, usually rugby athletes will have many of the physical um, skill sets, which they need to run very fast, but they don't have the technical skill sets. Yeah. So progressing in terms of skill acquisition is, is kind of how I approach it. Um, so I almost don't periodize, I guess you could say. Yeah. More of how I approach it is to have a specific set of progressions in each drill and each, each kind of skill set that they need, you know, whether it's multidirectional, crossover step, whatever, and then just let athletes progress individually. So if, if one athlete is an absolute ninja at lateral A skips and we want to work on a, you know, some lateral movement in that session, then I might give them a medicine ball to hold or have them hold a stick overhead, whereas if the guy next to them stinks at it, he's not going to be doing that. No, um, right, okay. So it's definitely non, non-linear learning that I'm, I'm looking for them to progress linearly with their skills, but I don't, I don't do any undulating programming as yeah, I would with okay. Um In terms of what I would do when I get a group, Andrew, again, a lot of it comes down to just running as fast as you can. So there's a ton of fancy drills out there. The number one thing that I like to do is have athletes run as fast as they can because we can't have a perfect world and have them you know, have two hour long sessions a week where they're totally fresh and not you know holding back due to you know knowing that they're going to get thrashed that afternoon. Yeah. But we can we can take we can take blocks in a session when the athletes are relatively fresh and use um, what some would call part practice. So you know we keep it really simple, right? So an, an A skip would be part practice for the knee drive and the arm swings. Yeah. Um, so if if we have an athlete do an A skip and we use the three or four cues that we know that we want to see from them in actual sprinting and they're able to nail those movements or respond successfully to those cues in the A skip, then we can progress the, the skill difficulty of that A skip until the movement becomes very robust. So if they can get a knee drive with their arms free, mm-hmm. then can they do that knee drive just as well with their arms crossed or with a medicine ball in their hands or their hands overhead? Right. Eventually those movements become robust and we'll see it when they actually sprint. Right, great. 
So you're really personalizing it to the athlete rather than doing a kind of broad brushstroke over the whole team. Yeah, it's it it's it's completely dependent on feasibility, Andrew. So if you have three athletes, that's awesome. If you have one athlete, even better, obviously. But if you have mm-hmm. 25 athletes in front of you, sometimes you have to you know have one drill that you want to work on for 15 minutes, and you have everyone do the basic progression. Then you say you you and you grab a med ball, and you you and you you know grab a stick. Mm-hmm. And I've found that that tends to work as long as you're keeping it as simple as possible. I wouldn't try and make I never try and make more than one technical change per session. So I don't try and work on knee drive, arm swing, you know, counter rotation and all those different things in one session. No, I think that's, yeah. And if you look at skills coaching as well with, with, uh, with rugby, uh, you know, you can have a coach who will say, you know, every coach knows a lot about catch pass and a lot about tackle and a lot of the key points there, but you can, you can say seven points, uh, that that's, they're all going to get lost, you know. If you can focus on one key point, I think that pedagogically, that's pretty robust to to be looking at it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And um, you mentioned a few names there. Like if if um, if coaches out there wanted wanted some resources to call upon when they, you know, find find some techniques that are that are uh, inconsistent and they want to try and correct them, who who are some names that they should go go chasing and looking for resources through? I'm extremely fortunate that I've, I've had some form of professional development or mentorship with Nick Winkleman, Franz Bosch, and Dan Paff, and I think you'd be hard-stretched to find three better names in the field in this area. Yeah. Um, I, I can't say that it, you know, much of that learning has been from any materials from them. Obviously, I've okay. read Franz's book. You know, I've, I've, I've you know, done the, I think it's called the 0.1 second difference from Winkleman um, on the on the old XS educational sites. It's a fantastic resource, um, but a lot of it's been from in-person PD and, and just learning from them and sending them a video and saying, "Hey, what do you think of this?" Um, other people that folks might not necessarily know about who I think are really switched on about speed. Um, Dave Wildash with the Hurricanes of Super Rugby. Yep. Will Quick um, with the Western Force. Kier Wenham Flat Rugby yep. Strength himself is really switched on in this area so um, his instagram is a very good good resource yeah yeah he's he's got some great stuff out there and um yeah and he's he's not afraid to share it as well so so definitely follow him on twitter and you know he's been on the show a couple of times and uh yeah he's he's more than happy to share so that's great now i think i think um coaches there's got to be there's got to be local resources they can tap into as well like every Every town's got to have someone who's a who's a spring coach or you know an athletic club or something like that, and those coaches want to get better as coaches as well. So if they cross over to another sport and as a resource, uh, surely you can tap into them. That's a really good point, Andrew. I, I always say like the stopwatch sports, uh, you know, the so-called stopwatch sports are great resources for speed and power development because those guys. They don't have time uh, to think of, or a need to think about a ball or defenses or anything like that, um, so they really hone their craft in these areas. So, mm. yeah, actually, I'd just say go go find your local athletics coach and, and have them run some sessions. Yeah, for sure. Great. Well, you mentioned the ball in hand there. What what are, what is like? Obviously, uh, with with speed coaching, a lot of people will start without the ball in hand, but but. Not most of the time, but a lot of the time when, when, you're, when you're running as fast as you can, you're either tracking a defender or you're trying to beat a defender. Um, 
What are some of the mechanical differences you see with uh, with with sprinting at top speed with ball in hand and um, as a coach, how how do you accommodate for those? I think one of the first things you'll notice if you take a um, an athlete who holds a ball in the attacking um, part of their sport and have them run without a ball as fast as they can is that their arms are a mess. Whether that's basketball, AFL, rugby, or American football, mm-hmm. uh, they almost don't know how to run without their arms because they're used to holding a ball. Yeah, right. Uh, so uh, one of the things which Franz Bosch has taught me is that if you if you teach an athlete to run without their arms, more or less, whether that means with ball in hand, arms crossed, arms overhead, and what have you, then their legs will self-organize. Otherwise, they'll fall over and just look like an idiot. <laughs> so if you teach an athlete to run without their arms, they will get better at using their legs. In terms of the actual teaching and coaching pedagogies around having a ball, I try and uh, put a ball into every session that I, that I do. Um, obviously, it depends on the coach that's involved and you know how okay he is with me running stuff like that, mm-hmm. but I mean, my favorite drill is just have an athlete with a ball on the ground and a defender two steps behind them, and when you, you say go, that attacker picks the ball up and runs and tries to score a try, um, so usually it's from the 22, just basically a 22-meter sprint with a ball in hand, and they start with picking it up from the ground, um, and, and, and that not only allows one athlete to you know have the, the psychology of chasing someone, yeah. the other athlete the psychology of running away from someone with the ball in hand, but it also, you know, it, it works on something that we call the stumble reflex, which is just when you pick the ball up off the ground, you're in a traditional accelerated body lean, mm. and you have to power through the ground with a long step, otherwise you'll stumble or fall over. Yeah, and it's a bit more in, like implicit learning there. Like it's exactly. like you say, it's self-organizing. It's okay if I if I lean too far forward, I'm going to fall over. If I stand up, I'm going to be slower. So a lot of your work you've been doing has been with uh, female athletes. Um, what what are some of the differences uh, in the in the run mechanics uh, that you found uh, coaching female athletes, or is it or is it more that each each athlete, whether male or female, has their own strengths and work ons um, that 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 you see? It's they are pretty different. I'll, I'll say first and foremost what these morphological differences mean in terms of how we should coach them, I'm still not sure. Mm-hmm. But women and men definitely run differently. Um, the first thing you notice is that a valgus knee position is, is much more likely in common in a female because of the shape of the hips and the femur, um, the femur angle that that creates. So you'll get a lot more side-to-side pushing in okay. female athletes. Yeah. Uh, the even bigger difference that I notice, Andrew, is well, women proportionally naturally have more lower body mass and less upper body mass. So when we talk about throwing our arms and using our arms swing and the propulsion and momentum, the role that, the, that your arms play, women have a lot less muscle mass to throw around. If you're changing direction and you swing your arm in the direction that you're about to go, it's a lot more impactful for a man than for a woman. So women... I think rely on morphologically powering through the ground and using their feet, using their legs, and using their lower body power than men do. Men can switch directions with a great arm swing, with great posture. Women really rely on proper leg mechanics more. So, is that something as a as a strength coach that you could you could tap into in the weight room, or is it more that you just rely on your big rocks that you you know your key lifts that you you know every athlete needs and, and go from there? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't pretend to have a great understanding of it, Andrew. Beyond beyond what I've just said, so I, I think um, I think it's just something to be aware of and something to keep an eye out for when you're when you're coaching posture and coaching knee position. 
and coaching arm mechanics especially um, to be aware of that men, you know, they're going to need to shore up their arm movements a lot more because that's going to affect their momentum more. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas women, um, a valgus knee position in the change of direction will be more impactful than it will for men. Okay. All right. Great. All right. So, so for the for the amateur coach out there, um, you know, oh, I'm thinking like most most club rugby guys and girls who are coaching, they've got you know maybe themselves as a head coach, and if they're lucky, an assistant coach uh, in, in club land, but. Uh, often there's there's two people. Um, you know, there are a lot of uh, kind of jack of all trades kind of coaches out there who have to who have to do the skill work, have to do the set piece work, and you know have to do the fitness work and have to do the speed work. Um, how how would you how would you what would you advise them on in terms of when to when to get your players running fast, what time of the week, when in the session, all those kind of I suppose basic uh, things that you'd learn going through. Uh, doing a strength and conditioning um, degree at university? Sure. So, Andrew, I don't think we have a good idea of an answer uh, within our field. Um, (laughs) uh, I think there's lots of different ideas, lots of different ways that people like to do it. Um, I don't know if we have a great answer. I can say that the physiology and my experience tells me that I think the fresher an athlete is, uh, the more transfer we'll get from speed training into Mm -hmm. sport. So if it can be, not even necessarily in the morning, but just as the first real action of the day, a first real lower body demanding action of the day, um, yeah, I guess earlier in the week you'll get more, but you might have more transfer directly into gameplay if you do it later in the week, so I don't think we have a good answer there. Yeah. I'd just say if you can speed train athletes when they're fresh, I think you'll, you'll get the most motor learning out of it. If, if you... If you practice when you're tired first, you won't you won't get as much out of it. I think we need to learn the skills fresh so that they really transfer, and then we can practice them under under fatigue. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a tough one because some will say like early in the week because of central nervous system recovery, but others might say later in the week because it'll transfer into your game on the sad day. So exactly, yeah, it's a bit of a, bit uh, of a lottery. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're. What I would say, if I can try and answer Andrew to yep. to you know. To the people who um, don't have a ton of resources and are just trying to figure out, right, how can I make my athletes faster? If that's okay, because mm-hmm. honestly, I, I would I would call upon the local track and field coaches to come in and teach some mechanics. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you you've got a good grasp on what those mechanics are and how you want to coach them and how you you know how you want to cue your athletes, honestly, just having them run fresh a couple of times a week um, is as good as it gets. I really think we can do all the fancy drills in the world, running three to five totally fresh, so four minutes rest, um, 40 meter all out sprints twice a week is, is as good of a stimulus as you will ever find for enhancing speed. Really, I think if, if teams just went out and did that, they'd see a huge difference right away without even coaching mechanics. Um, and, and to keep that from getting too boring, you can make them races, you, you know, go in pairs, you can have them chasing, start one athlete, you know, three steps behind the other, um, you know, gamify it, but but all out sprinting it, it is still the best physical stimulus yeah. on the ball. Uh, when in doubt, forwards versus backs is always a good one too. Yeah, <laughs> get, that's I right. get them fired up. All right, beauty. Yeah. Just a, again with uh, that, uh, you know, the, the grassroots kind of coach in mind. Uh, what would what would be probably three key things you you'd advise coaches to think about before. Just getting their athletes out there and, and, and running them into the ground, what would be a couple of key pointers that you'd say 
think about these before you plan your session? I would say know the role of ego and psychology in, in speed in sports. So um, the reason I wanted to do a uh, PhD in speed in rugby sevens is because I wanted to tear my hair out every time I watched sevens that I'd see teams kick the ball to the wing and the winger take a look, not fancy it, bring the ball back inside and mm. say, what is the point of having a winger back yourself? Yeah, um, and I said, if every winger in the world just backed themselves and just said, you know, screw it, peace out every time they got the ball out there um, and, you know, you know, hit, hit the go button, then the sudden, you know, the sport of sevens would be <laughs> that much more entertaining. Mm. And I just found that people who are wingers are fast. They have all, they have the toolkit. So if we can teach them to become a little bit confident in their speed, um, then we will see a turnaround. So I don't think we're going to make these massive physiological changes. We might make some motor, motor control changes, but if we can just make them feel like, yeah, I've been working on my speed and now I feel good about it, then we'll see the difference out there. If they back themselves to beat a defender, then they're faster. That's it. Yeah. Um, so I know that's kind of one, one answer rather than three. That's all. But I think that's the primary thing that I would, I would want coaches to think about is that you know, it, it's not unlike anything in the weight room, Andrew. You don't have to get crazy fancy and make all these different changes. If we make the athlete feel better about their body and the way that they feel out there on the pitch, then we've we've accomplished our mission. Yeah, and I think I think coaches know it themselves from from their playing days. There's some days, especially if you were back, uh, there's some days you, you're at practice and you just like you just feel fast on that day, mm-hmm. and yeah, it gives you a boost for sure. And uh, yeah, no, that's a really good point that. That's that's probably an underestimated thing that um, coaches don't think a lot about is, or maybe don't like, you know, it's more the X's and the O's, the technical stuff, uh, is that the the ability to affect an athlete psychologically can be as powerful, if not more powerful, than the the technical abilities you're passing on to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So if I was to give you three points briefly, Andrew, it'd be that. So consider the psychology and the ego element. It would be. Don't overthink it or overcomplicate over or overcomplicate it. The best stimulus for sprinting is sprinting. Yep. And then thirdly, um, we work under fatigue a whole lot, and we wear athletes down a lot, and we run on a lot of you know yo-yos or Broncos or whatever. Mm. But honestly, if we're in a sport where being able to run as fast as you can very well is a key performance indicator, yep. let's practice running as fast as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well. Um before we wrap up, you know, as an American, you must be pretty excited as the, the upcoming uh, the upcoming uh, Olympics with the sevens. A couple of really fast dudes in uh, that men's side, uh, Perry Baker and Carla Niles. You uh, you got to have been watching them over the past few years. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, it's going to be it's going to change the way people look at the Olympic events, the sevens. I'm not, oh, you know, full full disclosure here. I'm not a I'm not a huge sevens fan. Uh, I'm more of a traditional 15s fan, but you know, I think uh, on, in terms of an Olympic sport, it's a perfect fit, and I think it's going to blow people's minds, especially those who have never never seen it before. I think it's going to be huge. Yeah, I agree completely. I'd, I'd rather watch an All Blacks Test match than a Sevens tournament, um, but I'd rather I'd rather coach Sevens always because I just think yeah. it's so fun. Yeah. Um, so I, I think um, I think to the traditional fan, especially your your North American, with our short attention spans, it is just about perfect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. Well, we always finish off the show with uh, the same four final questions. When you were a kid growing up, you're not from a rugby 
background, but when you were a kid growing up, who was who was your favorite athlete that you uh, you liked watching? It's funny because I never played soccer, but Thierry Henry was my favorite athlete growing up. Yeah. He was just an electric striker for Arsenal. For sure. Um, because of his, his grace, his panache, and uh, yeah, just his willingness to try different stuff. Um, it was pretty unique. Yeah, absolutely. I lived in um, I lived in East East London for three years, right when nice. Arsenal were at their that magic moment with uh, with mm-hmm. guys like him and um, Burkham, Patrick Vieira, pa- yeah. uh, Overmars, and and all the, the you know Tony Adams and the English contingent and uh, they, Thierry Omri was amazing and yeah I can't I can't talk about soccer too much because I've got a reputation to keep about being a rugby coach <laughs> but uh, yeah that, that was a, that was a pretty special uh, special era for uh, for Arsenal there for sure cool yes. all right um, and what about now you you're you're fully involved in rugby now as a, as a coach well, who's who's your favourite rugby player going around now so when I first showed up in New Zealand uh, Damien McKenzie. Mm. Uh, really stood out to me, and he and I'm um, I'm pretty happy that when I I sat down and watched my first uh, match last year, well over a year ago, and said, yeah, he's gonna be an All Black next year. He's gonna mm. be the best player in Super Rugby next year, and I was right. Um, and he's like exactly my size. It's ridiculous. He's oh, tiny. I was just um, about to say that it's unreal. Like, he's <laughs> he's uh, what 75 kilos, but the way he moves is is outstanding. It's crazy. Yeah, just the way he plays the game, um, and then and then. Current favorites uh, and the setups, yeah. Just um, I love the way Kurt Baker plays the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teddy Stanaway is is going to take Rio by storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the women's side, uh, Renee Wycliffe and Gail Broughton are, are electric X factors that will definitely uh, provide some entertainment out there. Yeah, great! Uh, can't wait! Can't wait to see it. And uh, I think it's going to be a you know both in the men's and women's sevens. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. Like. In the women's side, Australia, New Zealand, Canada are just going to be going at it for that that gold medal. I, I just think it's going to be going to be a, a great spectacle. Um, all right, great. And um, third question: Who's a who's a high level coach that you admire that uh, that you get get a lot of inspiration out of? I think it's impossible to look past Eddie Jones, isn't it? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, man? He. Um... I think it's amazing that he is what every coach should be in yeah. so many different ways in terms of his communication methods, his, his, uh, his humility, uh, his self-education. Um, but because almost no one else is like that, um, he stands out. You know? Okay, and, who's, uh, and then final question, who's a, who's a lesser-known coach with, without that kind of profile or a grassroots coach that they feel deserves a, a shout-out for the work they do? Sure. So I'll give a shout-out to Corey Sweeney. Corey is a uh, regional coordinator for New Zealand Sevens, men and women, and has coaching roles in the Bay of Plenty here and all sorts of other stuff. And uh, Corey is just a world-class operator as a rugby coach, as a communicator, as a human being. I think any rugby team in the world would get better with him on staff. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's often those people in the, in the background that, that – you know, produce or, or help produce. They play, play a key role in producing, you know, quality quality athletes that then go on to the the bigger stage that that the more high profile coaches uh, get to work with. So, yeah, hats off hats off to those guys for sure. All right, Jake. Well, um, really appreciate you giving up your time um, for, to to come on the show. I'm I'm, I'm really confident that uh, coaches out there who, who are wanting to to get their players faster have gotten a, got a bunch out of this show and. Uh, you know, uh, 
great, great for you to give up your time and uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, I love rugby, so I'm thrilled if I can provide value to rugby coaches out there. Um, thanks for your time, Andrew, and thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.